Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Off and running. Welcome back in on a Monday. It's the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the show a part of your day. And we have officially gotten the college football season underway. Yeah, that's right. College football is here. After all of the uncertainty that we got all summer long and the ups and the downs of, yeah, they're definitely going to have a season to no, uh, by the end of the week, everybody's going to cancel their season and everything in between. It has begun, and the state of Mississippi gets started here on Thursday with uh, Southern Miss and South Alabama. Golden Eagles are a heavy favorite, by the way, for whatever that's worth to you. And uh, Ole Miss is still a few weeks away, but it's good to be with you as football season begins. We're going to talk about that as well as maybe some separation in the Ole Miss quarterback battle. Now, nobody has been able to see it with their own eyes except for the coaches and the players themselves, but some reporting coming out of Oxford seems to make you think that there might be some separation, so we'll discuss that as well. But first, I want to remind you that the podcast every week is brought to you by LBs just across from Kroger on University Avenue. Football's back. And you get a couple of weeks of college football and the NFL is inside of two weeks away. Inside of two weeks away, the NFL starts a week from this coming Thursday. So you got a lot of football coming up. Stop by LB's, get your meat, give you something to throw on the grill while you enjoy your, you can call it a preseason if you want, the preseason before Ole Miss actually begins. And uh, go by, see Greg, tell him we sent you, get one of their daily lunch specials. And uh, yeah, again, just across from Kroger, University Avenue, LB's there in Oxford. Tell Greg we sent you. And I want to start with this, actually, though. If if you have kids, you've probably done this before. Um, so my little guy has has a cold, you know, no fever, but just got runny nose and, and stuff like that. His first cold that he's ever had. And we got this device called a nose Frida. And if you don't have kids, you've probably never seen it or heard of it. But um, it sounds disgusting. And it kind of is. It's this tube, right? Um, probably four or five inches long. Um, about the the width of a nickel, maybe. But it comes to a point. And this thing attaches to a tube with a little uh, nozzle on the end. And you stick this tube... I had to do this earlier. You stick this tube. You have to hold your kid down because they're freaking out because they've never done anything like this before. And you have to stick this tube in their nose and suck the snot out of their nose. And there's like a filter, so it stops it. It sounds gross, but like nothing actually can get to you. You know, you're not siphoning gas where if you go too far, it gets all over your face. No, it's nothing like that. But, I mean, that is the most disgusting thing I think I've ever done. And I know there was like a blocker there that wouldn't let it get to me, but sitting there as this poor kid is just wailing and crying like nothing else um, and, and having to do that, I'm still scarred from it. Like he's taking a nap right now, so he's all good. I'm still scarred from it. And, and you parents out there, I guess this is a common thing. I didn't realize that this was going to be part of the job. I mean, diaper changes, that's fine. I'll change a diaper all day long. I, that doesn't bother me. Sucking the snot out of the kid's nose, that's, <laughs> that's something uh, entirely different. And, ooh, 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 anyway, 
Um, anyway, let's talk football. The first college football game happened on Saturday night. And based on my Twitter feed, a lot of people watched Central Arkansas and Austin P play on Saturday night. And that's awesome. Um, I grew up on FCS football. I've told you guys this before. It's no surprise. Uh, I grew up going to Furman games. My dad and I would go to a Furman game at 1 and it'd be over by 3 o'clock. And we'd get home at 3.30 to watch the CBS game and then all the other good games in college football that day. I I grew to appreciate that level of football. I'm not going to try to convince you, of course you guys know this, that it's not the same quality as what you watch usually with SEC football every Saturday. But they got to show you, and the quarterback struggled a little bit, but they got to show you that the FCS level is still pretty good ball. And I kept thinking the entire game. I don't know about you, but I kept thinking the whole time watching this. Central Arkansas, the Bears, I think they're in the Southland Conference, I think, with the alternating purple and silver turf. That's their claim to fame. And the Austin P. Governors... Two programs that have no television deals. They have no apparel deals. I think Austin P's uniforms were Under Armour. Maybe Under Armour gives them to them for free, but they're certainly not paying Austin P a bunch of money to wear their uniforms. They both play in nice-looking, uh, but stadiums that are no bigger than your 6A Mississippi High School. They, they don't really have a rich alumni base that's just donating millions of dollars to the football program. They don't have any of that stuff. And yet Austin P and Central Arkansas found a way to play a football game, and it worked. It was fun. It was quirky. It was down to the wire. Quarterback play wasn't all that great. More on that in a second. But they played a college football game. And they even had some guys that couldn't travel because of COVID, but they still played a football game. And yet the Big Ten can't find a way to do it. Austin P and Central Arkansas played a football game this season, and the Big Ten will not. The Big Ten, with all of its money, all of its resources, all, all of the ability that they have, the access to stuff to make their facilities and everything safer for their players than Austin P and Central Arkansas could even dream of. And yet they called it quits in July, and Austin P and Central Arkansas played last night. That's all I kept thinking about during the game was somehow, some way, these two teams, these tiny programs that don't make any money off of football. Like there is less incentive for Austin P and Central Arkansas to play than the Big Ten, because as we've talked about a lot on this show and you've heard everywhere, I mean, Iowa, Wisconsin, and others, they've been out front with it. I mean, up to $100 million in losses. They're more incentivized to push through and play. They chose not to, or somebody in the Big Ten chose not to. And Austin P in Central Arkansas, that universities don't depend on football for survival. They don't have towns that need the 100,000 people to show up just to survive. It's completely different, yet they found a way. And then if you look at the state of Pennsylvania, high school football is playing. Pittsburgh's going to have a season. They're in the ACC. They're playing. And the two NFL teams in the state are playing. Only Penn State is not playing this season. And then you see Dan Patrick this morning, who's been on top of this. I mean, he was talking about the the Big Ten and the uh, Pac-12 canceling their season, I mean, early on. So whoever's been feeding him this uh, has been pretty spot on. 
Dan Patrick this morning says the Thanksgiving idea from the Big Ten is not feasible, not something that they're going to do, or, or at least it's very unlikely, that it's more likely they'll play an eight-game season starting in January, and 2021 is going to look different with number of games and practices and stuff like that. So the Big Ten now is looking at altering two seasons for the sake of one. Yet the Central Arkansas Bears are able to find a way to play this fall. The only way Kevin Warren saves his job, the only way, is if the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 seasons are an absolute disaster. If there's multiple cancellations, if there's shutdowns, if there's outbreaks and stuff like that, that's the only way. But if the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 push forward with the season and it's even relatively successful, he's gone. And if I'm Ohio State, I'm looking for a new home too. They don't need the Big Ten. Ohio State doesn't need the Big Ten. But if these other three leagues were able to pull it off, and they're going to go into 2021 and play an eight-game season starting in late January where half the roster is going to opt out, and then a 10-game season in the fall of 21 when, knock on wood, this stuff should be way behind us by then? What a joke. What a nightmare. Um, and then with this Nebraska player lawsuit, I don't know if you, you saw this on Friday, the attorney for the Big Ten is arguing that the correspondence between the Big Ten and the presidents, if they got out, it would be damaging to the league. Well, what the hell is in those correspondence? Um, it's a mess up there. And I know a lot of you, and, and you guys know my feelings about Greg Sankey, but he's he just another example of why he deserves credit for how this has been navigated. Um, they're at least going to try. And based on what I saw on Saturday night, you can make it work at least for a little while. And the game itself, uh, it was entertaining. I mean, if you guys watched it, you saw it go down to the wire. Um, there's something that I was, I made an observation I was curious about. So the quarterback play, as you guys probably know, was um, atrocious, uh, to say the least. Uh, not good at all. Uh, Braylon Smith, though, for Central Arkansas, this is what I was curious about. So Braylon Smith, uh, even though he threw the game-winning touchdown pass, otherwise was not good. He was 26 of 49, two interceptions uh, before that one touchdown on the game-winning drive. Um, was a 4,000-yard passer a year ago, they said. 4,000-yard passer a year ago. Didn't look like that at all on Saturday night. I wonder if you're going to see more of that in college football. If uh, certain guys uh, either were able to train or not able to train or, or handled the whole quarantine, not having a spring uh, as well as others. Because the quarterback play in this game, like I said, was awful. But he in particular um, doesn't seem like they expected that from him, being a 4,000-yard passer a year ago. Uh, I wonder how much that will impact, especially the opening weekend of the SEC slate. It's all going to depend on how, I guess, individual players handled this all. But I think that's a factor to consider, uh, especially when you're putting money on the first weekend of games. I would be really careful to do it regardless because, like in this situation, just because a guy was good a year ago doesn't mean that he handled quarantine well. You're hearing really good things about Ole Miss's quarterbacks that there was some improvement made, especially from Matt Corral's situation. So maybe he spent time uses quarantine wisely, but other players... 
did not. I was wondering, after watching that game, how much maybe that impacted this individual player. Uh, and maybe it's just first game jitters. I don't know. But uh, when they were talking about the, the season he had a year ago, he did not look like that at all. But I was just thankful that I was just thankful that football was played at the end of the day. Uh, just uh, to see that after the uncertainty was uh, really refreshing. And Wes Blankenship, he's a funny guy on Twitter. He made an observation, and he's absolutely right that a lot of big college football media that spent the summer and well the last few weeks even explaining why college football shouldn't happen or finding ways or finding people to say why college football should never happen, for some reason defending Kevin Warren in the Big Ten at every turn, right? And I think part of that is because the Big Ten was the source of all of their college football will not be played at all this season story. Um, But all of those people spent all summer talking about why college football doesn't need to be played. And then when college football actually begins... I know social media is not everything, but they've spent all summer tweeting about how irresponsible it is to play football or or whatever they did. Um, And then when it actually gets played, they're silent. But they're they're convinced, or they want you to be convinced that they weren't actively rooting against the sport. But when the sport actually happens, they're nowhere to be seen. I know Central Arkansas and Austin P don't move the needle by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the first football game of the year during a pandemic. They had a socially distanced crowd there. You had coaches wearing masks on the sidelines. You had all of this new stuff, and it's almost like they were nowhere to be found. These particular group of college football people just weren't anywhere to be found. I think think that's interesting. But I enjoyed the hell out of it. I hope you did as well. It was just good to see it and good to have it back. And this week, we're going to get even more. The season's underway, so uh, there's going to be a quick turnaround. Central Arkansas is supposed to play at UAB on Thursday night. So Central Arkansas is going to have two games in before really anybody else has one, except for their opponent in UAB. And then Southern Miss will be the nightcap on Thursday, hosting South Alabama. That's an 8 o'clock kickoff, by the way. It's a late one. Uh, Enjoy that. That's on CBS Sports Network. You've got uh, two other games also on that Thursday, Rice and Houston. Oh, that's been postponed, actually. So it's just those two. It's Central Arkansas, UAB, South Alabama, Southern Miss. And then Saturday, you've got a full slate. Now, it's not one that you're just going to jump through the roof roof about, but you have games on ESPN, college football games on Saturday. Eastern Kentucky at Marshall. You have Middle Tennessee and Army. Uh, So Eastern Kentucky and Marshall's noon on ESPN on Saturday. Middle Tennessee and Army. That's on CBS Sports Network at noon. SMU and Texas State. Houston Baptist and North Texas. You're going to have to buy the online stream for that one. But Arkansas State and Memphis on Saturday night. Football is back. And it, again, it bears repeating that Arkansas State and Memphis are going to play on ESPN on Saturday night. And Ohio State will not have a season. It's mind-blowing. Week two, two weeks from now, is when everybody else gets underway except for the SEC. So the ACC and the Big 12 have games. Week one is next weekend. Saturday, September 12th is when week one begins. So college football, guys, uh, is here. And speaking of that, let's bring it back uh, to your home team. Uh, Is there a leader in the quarterback race? That'll be the title of the podcast today. And uh, 
that's what everybody, when it comes to Ole Miss, is talking about. And now, like I said the last time we had a scrimmage conversation, the same thing applies here. It's This is only secondary information because nobody that has actually seen it is willing to declare a front-runner or anything like that. I believe the media will be able to talk to Lane Kiffin on Tuesday, and maybe we'll get some clarity there, but I doubt it. Uh, Lane Kiffin seems to be keeping everything really close to the vest, but information has seemed to have leaked out, and that's the question is, is there a leader in the quarterback race? Uh, Multiple people that cover the team have said that it appears as if Matt Corral is a front runner. And a friend of mine, Zach Barry, was able to get scrimmage stats. And like I told you last time on scrimmage stats, you don't really know where these came from or what they were trying to do or anything like that. It's just numbers. But still, according to Zach, Matt Corral in the scrimmage was 18 of 24 for 226. Plumley was 10 of 18 for 140, but added 100 more. On the ground, but with those rushing numbers, you can see, at least on the video, that uh, the quarterbacks weren't getting hit or touched, and I mean, who knows how they were actually tracking those numbers. It's really important, like I told you last time, to put scrimmage stats into context, and the context for these are, we didn't get to see it happen. They could be asking more of Plumlee in these scrimmages to try to see if he can stretch the field as opposed to corral, and I mean, you don't know if there were any drops or anything like that. But it goes to show you uh, if these are relatively equal as far as reps and and stuff like that, that Corral is ahead of Plumlee passing the ball. And you saw that with your own two eyes a year ago. And, I mean, based on the people I've talked to, secondary information, everybody mentions that Corral is having a really, really good camp. Doesn't mean Plumlee is not, but that's the, the word that, that is continuing to come out. And now you've got Zach Barry with those scrimmage numbers, Neil McCready saying that uh, all signs, his direct quote is all signs seem to point towards Matt Corral being Ole Miss's starting quarterback. Um, And he would probably tell you the same thing. That's all secondary information. There's still a long time before the season begins. A lot of things can change and stuff like that. But, Because this is what you guys care about, we have certainly are going to talk about it. This is not surprising. It shouldn't be surprising. And I've told you this before, many times before. You can see the way they've recruited the position. And that told me, and therefore I told you, that the way they're recruiting the position should tell you the way they want to operate their offense here at Ole Miss. And... Those are pass-first quarterbacks. I told you that last week. I've told you that a hundred times by now, I'm sure. But if it, if this is true, if Matt Corral is the leader and he does win the job, the next question is, how do you use John Rice Plumley? If Matt Corral is, in fact, uh, the guy that wins the job. you got to put that qualifier on there a hundred times because we just simply don't we don't know for sure. But that's what everybody seems to be hearing, myself included, that he's ahead right now. So how do you use Plumley? I think everybody's scared of what they saw last year. And when you hear 
Corral will start, but you'll get some stuff from Plumlee, people automatically think it'll be a two-quarterback system. And then you get the the cliched phrases you get all the time. Oh, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Or when has a two-quarterback system ever worked? Well, it depends on how you classify a two-quarterback system. Because Florida won a national championship. Won a national championship using two quarterbacks. It was not a two-quarterback system based on, like, in the way that people think it is. But they used two. Chris Leak was the starting quarterback on the 2006 National Championship team. He threw 365 passes that season to Tim Tebow's 33. Tim Tebow had 89 carries, and Deshaun Wynn, the other running back, the leading rusher on the team, had 143. They used two quarterbacks and won a national championship, but I think if you remember, if you want to think back and remember how Urban Meyer approached using Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, it was not a two-quarterback system. Chris Leak was the guy, and they used an offensive weapon in Tim Tebow to complement their offense, but it was not a two-quarterback system. That question is an easy answer. When has a two-quarterback system ever worked? Well, probably never, but if if the only example that you're going to go by is what you saw from Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke and the way they handled that quarterback position last year, well, of course that wasn't going to work. I'm a nobody. I've never coached a real football game in my life, and I, I every single week, on Sunday and on the weekday show, and I was the only one there for a while, that told you this is not going to work. And Ole Miss fans hated it, and especially after the LSU game. Oh, look at that Look at that kid run, and this is going to work. They just need more time or whatever. Um, it was never going to work. It, it didn't make any sense. It was disjointed. You didn't allow either one to get any kind of comfortable or, or figure out what their role in the offense would be. And by the way, when people tell you that Matt Corral struggled last year, if you look at the beginning of the season when he started games before he got hurt and then they tried to do the thing with Plumlee and bounce him all around, after Memphis, he was good. Now, admittedly, the Memphis game was not, but they got beat up so bad up front that nobody was winning that game that day. You could put Peyton Manning in his prime at quarterback that day when Ole Miss was playing Memphis, and they were so bad and so physically dominated up front that it didn't matter who was playing quarterback, that they they were still going to struggle offensively. If you look at Matt Corral's early starts before everything went to hell, he was productive, pretty good for a redshirt freshman getting his first real game action. Wasn't against against the best opponents in the world, but there was potential there. So when people say... And I don't know where this comes from. When people say, oh, he was just terrible last year. No, not when it was his team and he was the quarterback. Everything was terrible, with the exception of some big runs when they were getting absolutely smoked offensively last year. Everything was terrible. And even then, when Corral played... It was pretty good. So after after the debacle at Memphis uh, against Arkansas, he was 16 of 24. That's 67% completions. 246 yards and two touchdowns added 46 on the ground. Against Southeast Louisiana, he was 21 of 30. That's 240 yards, 70% completions, two touchdowns. Against Cal, 
you remember, his first half was really good. He got hurt somewhere early in the second half and tried to power through it. He was 22 of 41 for 266. Had 56 yards rushing as well. Two weeks later, after a bye, he heals up a little bit, plays some against Missouri. He was 10 of 16, that's 63% completions. The next week against Texas A&M, and that's when things really became a disaster with how they use these quarterbacks. It was like Plumlee twice, and then he throw Corral in to, to just throw the ball. He was 59% completions, uh, 10 of 17, and then they really just kind of stopped using him. Only through six passes against Auburn. It, it just, none of it made any sense whatsoever. And what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, as much as you saw potential with Plumlee at quarterback with Ole Miss last year, and there was plenty of it, especially, obviously, as you know, with his feet, don't sell uh, Corral short either. Because based on the sounds, it's very possible that he's your starting quarterback. And, again, back to the question, how do they use Plumlee if this is the case? It won't be a two-quarterback system. And the recent examples that you do have aren't really two-quarterback systems. That's not what Florida did. Not at all. That's not what the Saints do. And everybody kind of equates Plumlee to Taysom Hill, and I think it's just because they're white guys that they use in the running game. But they're, they're two different players. Taysom Hill is a lot more physical. He's bigger than Plumlee is. Taysom Hill's size would actually surprise you, and his measurables at the Combine were impressive uh, as far as his ability to run. He's a special athlete, but he's a big dude. I mean, he's 6'2", 220, so he's the size of a linebacker uh, with his speed. Plumlee's more um, of an elusive 0-60 uh, to 60 and... and seconds kind of speed, but the Saints use Taysom Hill in a more physical way. They'll line him up at tight end sometimes. He'll be a flex. He'll play running back, and of course, he will take snaps at quarterback. I don't envision Ole Miss using Plumlee in the exact way that the Saints use Taysom Hill. People equate the two, but the usage rate of Taysom Hill, the number of touches he gets, that would be a good balance for Ole Miss to avoid the two-quarterback system if this is what they're they're doing. Um, to Drew Brees is still the guy in New Orleans. Everybody knows that. He's the quarterback. But Hill provides a nice change of pace. His usage rate is really good. And if you have to use both, which I think no matter what happens in the quarterback race, you have to find a way to get Plumlee on the field and get him touches no matter what happens. Um Taysom Hill's usage rate is a really good indicator or a model that I think Ole Miss should go after. Get him about as many touches or snaps as Taysom Hill gets. I think that's a really nice balance between keeping your quarterback comfortable, knowing that it's his team and it's his offense and he drives the thing, but you're utilizing a unique weapon that you have that not many other people do. And that's how I would view John Rice Plumley in comparison to Taysom Hill. Hill's going to be more physical. You're going to want to get Plumlee in space, but the usage rate, I think, lines up and works really, really well. And we'll we'll see how it goes. There's still plenty of time before the season begins. I mean, all the reporting so far out of camp, all the conversation has been about, about Matt Corral, but, I mean, Lane Kiffin's the, the guy that 
turned a running back into a Heisman contender. So just because he's uh, recruiting pass-first quarterbacks does not necessarily mean that he um, will not start Plumlee. We just we don't know, and there's still plenty of time for them to sort this out. Uh, the season still is a few weeks away. Southern Miss starting on Thursday, but yeah, we've got one, two, three weeks until game week. So there's still plenty of time uh, for potential separation. There's still plenty of time for um, uh, Plumlee to make up ground if there is, in fact, some kind of, of separation. But I think this is this is one of those things, too, where I'm not a big trust the coaches guy. I hate, I hate so much when listeners, when you're talking about coaching decisions, and I got a lot of this last year. Um, well, the coaches know more than you. Trust the coaches. Well, my job is to, to be critical when criticism is warranted and praise when praise is warranted. But I, I can't just spend all day every day, well, you know, trust the coaches because that's a really boring radio show. Um, same thing applies here. I mean, I don't like when people say things like trust the coaches or or something like that because it's my job to, to analyze and to give you my opinion on the situation. But in this case, I think trust the coaches uh, actually does apply. I think Lane Kiffin especially has showed you, in spite of all of the, the stuff that has happened over the years uh, with him and, and his reputation, um, the ability to coach quarterbacks and evaluate quarterbacks and run an offense has never been in question. And so if he makes a choice and it's Matt Corral, you should understand that that choice comes from somebody who's been there and done that at every level and it was the right choice. I've seen a lot of people recently kind of campaign for one or the other. And it, it, campaign's probably the bad word because – you know, fans online or just in conversation don't really have an impact on anything at all, even if they think they do. But I think there are people, in fact, I know there are people that will be upset if Plumlee's not named the starting quarterback, and then vice versa as well. But there are, there are people that just want him so bad to be the starter, and they will argue with anybody. My emails that I've gotten over the last year or so will tell you that there are people that will argue with anybody uh, who even has any dissenting pin, opinion about him. And it's a small portion of the fan base, I think, but there are people that would prefer the starting quarterback at Ole Miss to be a kid from Mississippi. A kid that doesn't have tattoos, even. If you, if you think I'm crazy, I, I've received emails about how Ole Miss needs a quarterback that is a clean-cut kid from right here in our backyard. That is an email that I got. I don't understand that motivation, um, but there is some of that, and there will be people that are disappointed and upset if Plumlee doesn't win this job. And then the national media is just going to be all just baffled um, because they've spent all summer long talking about Plumlee and only Plumlee when it comes to Ole Miss. But... I would trust Lane Kiffin on this one, guys. I'm certainly not, whatever decision he makes, I will not sit on, on here on this podcast or the radio and question that decision. Uh, he's got a track record that 
Um, that is one that shouldn't be questioned, and I won't do it. So if he decides to go with Plumlee, then clearly uh, Lane Kiffin sees something that uh, he can work in his offense with that kid. And if he picks Matt Corral, he clearly sees something that works. I don't know, and I know there's going to be some hand-wringing and there's going to be some questioning, and I know it's not going to come from me, though. And it shouldn't come from you either. But we will see. Uh, I got a text from a friend last night that said, everybody's going to talk about uh, Corral and Plumlee and Kincaid Den is going to win the job. (laughs) Um, But all the local reporting and everything that everybody's hearing is pointing towards uh, Matt Corral. So we'll see if that sticks and we'll see what happens. I don't think we will know until game week and maybe not even uh, we won't know until the offense takes the field against Florida on the 26th. Uh, I mean, if I was Lane Kiffin, I wouldn't name a starter. I mean, maybe within the team, just so they know and tell the two quarterbacks which one's the starter, but I'm not going public with it until the offense takes the field on the 26th. There's no reason to to give Dan Mullen in Florida any reason to focus on one guy in preparation over the other. No reason to do that at all. So if I was Kiffin, that's what I'd do. And uh, I suspect that it will be something like that. They are uh, meeting with the media on Tuesday, so if there's any important audio or anything like that, I'll have that for you on Wednesday's show. Have a great week. Football is here. Go by LBs. Go see Greg. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Enjoy your football. Enjoy your week, and I will talk to you again on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.